0: I hope you have a new respect for the Word of God tonight as you realize what scientists are now saying. The possibilities of the Word of God being what it is. I mean, just 48 prophecies, not 333. I don't think there's a computer that can compute the power to what power that would be for a 333 with 456 specific details concerning the coming of Christ alone, let alone over 2,000 prophecies that have already been fulfilled in the Old Testament concerning all other things. Let me just share with your friend of mine something that I, I found out that <laughs> amazed me of the Word of God too. It says in the Old Testament that in the last days Zebulun and uh, Issachar would be sucking the riches of the sea. And you go look for the map of Zebulun and Issachar, and they're inland. They're in from the shore of Israel, probably forty fifty miles. How do you think? Well, they're going to run a pipeline over there and suck the riches of the sea. What's going to suck fish in or suck something out of the? No, 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 no. <laughs> recent Discoveries over there found out that there are oil and gas deposits under Issachar and Zebulun. And it always comes from the very deepest point trying to push to the surface. And the ones over there trying to find out all about it found these reservoirs of gas and oil and said, let's find their source. And so they started following along the mountain ridge that went. He said, how far should we go? He said, go all the way. And they went out. And that mountain, that, that uh, seizure under the earth, now, who but God would know this a seizure under the earth goes along that mountain range right out under the sea Mediterranean Sea and all the gas and the oil that are coming up under Issachar and Zebulun today is come are riches that are coming from the sea and God's word said a thousand years ago in the last days Issachar and Zebulun will be sucking out the riches of the sea a mighty book mighty book May God give us the faith to begin to believe that whatever it says is the final answer. We don't have to look any further. Can you say amen? I don't know about you. I got excited about these truths. i I just thrilled when I realized what's happening these days, that we can actually take to, to the unbelievers and say, here's what scientists are telling us about the Word of God. Don't compare any other book to this anymore. I'd love to take this material right into a college professor and stuff it down his throat. When they stand in the religious classes, they all here is the book of Zen, and here is the book of on, 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 on. They're all the same. There's no comparison between the two. All Scripture is god breathing and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, instruction, and in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Everything you need for life and death are right here in this book. Search the Scripture. Father I thank you for the truth of your word I thank you for the eternality of it the perfection of it the divine imprint on the word of God I pray that it will challenge our hearts more and more every day to commit ourselves to the authority of your word and whatever the word says we will do it even as Mary said Jesus said to Mary or Mary said to the servant at the marriage of Cana whatever he says unto you do it and do it quickly I pray that our hearts will respond with greater faith than we've ever known before to know the authority and power of the book that you've given us to operate by throughout our lifetime. Lord, we thank you for that truth. Thank you for what scientists are finding today. They're just confirming what we've known all along. We didn't need this for faith, but how wonderful it is to see that others in the field of science are finding that God's word are absolutely true. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I just add one other thing that was of interest to me. <laughs> Some years ago, the scientists, the uh, the archaeologists and uh, historians were saying there was no such nation as Assyria, and there was no such and such a man over that nation. And uh, one archaeologist one time was digging, and he found a brick, and on the brick it had the name. I think his name was Sargon, that he was head uh, over this Assyria. And they said, well. <laughs> you found a brick but it's a phony because there is no such place as Assyria and there is no such people and Sargon did not live. So some of the archaeologists said well you found that brick there let's keep digging. They dug down found the whole place the whole town dug up libraries that had volumes and volumes of cylinders of all the history of that nation on Well all the people said there was no such place they've got their mouths closed now because God's word said there was such a place and God proved it mankind today whatever it says on any subject whether it's mining or the heavens or the earth or medicine or whatever it's absolutely authoritative I thank God for his word God bless you speaking of biblical certainty Paul, writing to Theophilus, said, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. These people that you have been receiving instruction from are not just fly by nights. They're not just, it's not some imagination they've cooked up. It's not some uh, situation where an angel has come down and laid some golden tablets on somebody that were written in King James English and then took them back so nobody else could see them. It's not some hallucinatory, uh, hallucinatory drug that somebody has taken and the end result of something you've written. What we're writing to you are absolute certainties. These things took place. And this is why we've been talking about the authority of God's Word. And we ask, are you convinced in what you believe? Are you consistent in with what you believe in your walk, daily walk? I said the, the real problem is not what we know, it's what we don't do that we know. Many people want to know more new things, but we need to learn how to practice the old things. And are we properly communicating that which we know? I've been so thrilled lately to see the young people beginning to communicate what they believe and to contact and touch other young people. If you weren't here Wednesday night, you missed out. We had 31 young people in this congregation last Wednesday night. 31 young people. You see, young people still believe that Wednesday night's an important night to be at church. And they're here, and God's doing some good things up there. And uh, last night at our house, they had 30-some folks out in the woods. Uh, I, I thought they were Indians running all over the place, I'll tell you. They're just hooping it up and having a good time and I had a bonfire out there and uh, charcoal and cooking and all the rest I had a good time young people are getting on fire praise God and uh, then, it, then the other thing I said do we have convictions or do we have preferences now may I just interject this as a pastor you think I'm doing this for my own convenience I'm doing it because I'm concerned about families. it used to be a conviction that every time the church doors open, a Christian would be there Sunday morning Sunday night Wednesday if you had revival meetings be, you know you used to have revival meetings that ran for 60 and 90 days every single night oh couldn't do that no that's right we have changed our lifestyle to where we just absolutely could not do it anymore I wonder who is interested in getting us so busy we can't do those things that are very important and should be a pre- take precedence in our life you know 50 years ago if a Christian did not go to church on Sunday night I mean he would be under conviction he knew that he was supposed to be in church on Sunday night or Wednesday night this isn't in my notes I'm just adding this free for you this morning something has happened we have lost biblical conviction. now I gave you this definition a biblical conviction is a basic biblical or scriptural principle which we determine to follow whatever the cost I don't care what the world does I don't care what my neighbor does I don't care what anyone else does I'm going to do this because I believe this is what the word of God says and if you haven't a biblical conviction it will be evident in your daily living it will not change it will always be consistent consistent with the word of God Now, the conviction that we're talking about, the first conviction we're talking about here, biblical certainty, is that the Bible is a supernatural book unlike any other. It is the inspired Word of God and the complete authority for my life. Now, I want to emphasize this again. If you and I do not believe that, we might as well quit playing games. Either the Word of God is the Word of God or it's not the Word of God. And if it is not the Word of God, then we of all people are most miserable because we're following a false truth, Paul said. Now, one of the proofs that I brought out and the, the thing that separates the Word of God from any other book are the prophecies that the Word of God declares. No other religious book in the world prophesies the future. And the scriptures prophesied, there's over 2,000 prophecies in the Old Testament, 333 concerning Jesus Christ, and the young people weren't here last Sunday night when I brought this out, so let's, just let me tell you, 333 prophecies, 456 specific details in those prophecies, a Christian who wrote the book, The Case for Jesus the Messiah, I will not get into all the details, he took eight prophecies, put them into a computer with some computer science, and he the head of a science department, said what are the possibilities of eight, just eight prophecies being fulfilled in somebody's life this far off in the distance. In other words, it's like us prophesying someone who's going to be president in 2700 A.D. and telling all about his life, where he's going to be born, how he's going to live, what he's going to do, and how he's going to die, and so forth. Uh, how impossible that would be. How impossible would it be for them to do it in the Old Testament having have it fulfilled? Just eight of them. And it came out one in ten to the seventeenth power. And for you young people, that description was very graphic. It said that's like taking one silver dollar and marking it, one silver dollar and marking it, mixing it up with a whole bunch of other silver dollars, enough silver dollars that you could cover the whole state of Texas, which is 267,339 square miles. The whole state of Texas, two foot deep in silver dollars. And put a blind man in Texas, had him walk all over those silver dollars for as long as he wanted to, and finally reach down pick it up and find that marked silver dollar. Think of those That's the same probability of just eight prophecies being fulfilled. It just absolutely could not happen. He thought he'd go one step further and went to 48. And what did he end up with? It's astronomical. One in ten to the hundred and fifty-seventh power. And he said, you can't even take silver dollars, you can't even take pieces of wheat, you have to take electrons. And some of you are in school, you young people, I, I just want to re-emphasize this to you. Uh, you take electrons and set them side by side, you know how small they are? If you just line up one inch of electrons, one inch long, side by side, and then start counting them four per second, seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, it would only take you 19 million years to count them all. No, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. That, that, that fast. For 19 million years, you'd count that one inch of electrons. That's how tiny they are. He said, but in order to get the same probability of 48 of these prophecies being fulfilled in one lifetime in Jesus Christ, and remember, the scripture has 333 of them. Supernatural book. If only 48 of them were fulfilled, he said you'd have to take the earth. I want to make sure that I got this right. Yes. You take the earth and the radius of it right now is what? About 12,500 isn't it? The radius is about 12,500. A globe the size of the earth full of nothing, just electrons. Remember one inch, how many there are in one inch? The whole earth made up solid of electrons and then expand that earth out 38 trillion miles. 38 trillion, not billion, not million, trillion, billion, I mean, but trillion miles. Take them out that far and then multiply that by trillions. Put a man in a space vehicle, mark one electron somewhere in all those trillions of balls that are trillions of miles wide, have him fly all around and then land and then somehow reach out pulling pull him one and find that one marked electron. That's the possibility of 48 prophecies being fulfilled in one man's lifetime. We're talking about the supernaturalness of the word of God if you want something that you put your send, him, put your money in the bank on it's the word of God heaven and earth will pass away but my word will never pass away the word is settled forever in the heavens. God says you want to know who I am I'm the one that predicts the past and the future it's all in this book and so when you go to college and university and you hear some pencil headed Professor get up we and say, Well, there are a lot of religious books in the world in the world, and the, of course they're all basically the same. You can say, Man, you are a fool. Why can you say that? Because the scripture says the fool has said in his heart no to God. There is no God. And only this book declares the future and the past. By the way, scientists tell you if it's one in ten to the fiftieth power, that means that cosmically or any other way it's just totally impossible it'll never happen I just read yesterday that they took a human cell and di- and put all the information concerning a human cell into a computer and this just staggered me what are the possibilities of this having come by evolution and it came back 1 in 10 to the 400th power excuse me 1 in 10 to the 4000th power well just forget it there's just no way to even describe that to you what that would be they said it just had to be designed by intellect the officers and I were talking after church the other day and said, you know, it used to be that people would say, I'm a scientist, of course I don't believe in God. Now they're saying today, I'm a scientist, of course I believe in, in God and creation. I believe. I mean, you have to have more faith to be an atheist than you do to be a, a, a Christian today and believe the the creation story. I can remember when I was younger, a lot of these professors in college, did they would choke on that rib story in Genesis, but they'd swallow that monkey tail and all and not have any trouble whatsoever. And they'd go out and declaring it all over the place. I want to tell you that's changing because science itself is making sure that it's confirming the Word of God over and over again. The Word of God is uh supernatural in the fact that it's virtually indestructible. He said it will never be taken away. In over twenty six hundred years there's been no book in the in the in the uh, world that has been attacked more than the Word of God. And I could not get into all of them but look at Jeremiah the 23rd, uh, Jeremiah the 23rd chapter, Jeremiah 23, Jeremiah 23, verse 29, God speaking about his word. Is not my word as, like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a what? Hammer. Hammer that breaketh the rocks in pieces. I read a poem some time ago, and I, I found it yesterday, and I wanted to bring it out this morning. It's entitled God's Anvil. Some of you probably heard it. Last Eve, I paused beside a blacksmith's door and heard the anvil ring the vesper chime. Then, looking in, I saw upon the floor old hammers worn with the beat years of time. How many anvils have you had, said I, to wear and batter all those hammers so? Just one, said he, and then, with twinkling eyes, the anvil wears the hammers out, you know. And so I thought the anvil is God's word, for ages Skeptics' blows have beat upon. Yet though the noise of falling blows was heard, the anvil is unharmed, the hammer has gone. I like that. It's been beat upon down the years. I like what one Irishman, they said an Irishman built a wall around his property one time, built it four feet high and five foot wide. They said, why did you build it so wide? He said, well, somebody comes over and knocks it over, it's higher than it was when it was upright. And that's the way God is concerning his, his word. He said, no matter which way you knock it over, it's going to be higher. Back in the Old Testament, back in uh, 697 B.C., King Manasseh, who was a wicked king, destroyed all the scriptures. Thought he had destroyed the, the word of God completely. He wanted to get rid of it so that people would worship the false gods. But one of them was hidden in the walls, and his grandson, later on, King Josiah, came in to be king, and it was found. That one copy was found and was brought out, and he had him read it, and he said, let all the people come together and let's read the word of God to them. And revival broke out again. Time and time again, men have tried to destroy and stop the word of God. They haven't been able to do it. In the intertestamental time uh, between Malachi and Matthew, a Syrian tyrant by the name of Antiochus Epiphany conquered Israel. And when he conquered Israel, he murdered everyone that he found that had some scripture, any copies of scripture. He said, we're going to eliminate and stamp it out completely. And after his death, the scripture began to be brought out of hidden places again, and there was a massive revival in uh, Israel. And, of course, we know of Tyndale and Huss who were burned at the stake. They didn't get to Whitcliffe fast enough to burn him at the stake because of what he had done with the word of God. So they found his grave, and they brought his bones out and scattered them all over the ground in order to try to stop the word of God. And an atheist over in Europe years ago swore that when, by the time he died that the Bible would be totally eradicated, never be around again. When he died, the uh, Bible Society bought his home and produced Bibles out of his home. Uh, he, he knew that he was going to be able to totally discredit the Word of God, and after he died, they started producing more Bibles. The Word of God is un- indestructible. No matter what men try to do, they'll not be able to destroy the word of God because God settled, it settled forever in the heavens and not one jot, not one tittle will be wiped away. Because the word of God is supernatural, another evidence of the word of God being supernatural is what it does in the lives of individuals. It transforms lives. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make free. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. Now, we've had many people that are involved in education who think that they're going. we're going to educate ourselves out of our problems. Give everybody a doctor's a degree, a degree and they'll all do fine. How many of you know some of the most educated people in the world today are in, in, the, uh, in the penitentiary? If you take an ignorant man and educate him and he's a thief, he'll become a more knowledgeable thief. You cannot change a man's heart by educating him alone. I can... Give evidence is over and over again of what the Word of God can do in contrast to an education. Some missionaries that I knew when I was in Bible college, in fact, he was assistant dean of men, he felt called of God to go to Erie and Jaya where Virgil Adams, some of you know Virgil Adams, went later on. He was one of the first group that went in and they flew into the Baleen River and landed on the river and just by the grace of God and providence, God's protection, they landed the, the plane right on the riverbank right at the boundary line between the two tribes. Here were cannibalistic people the men wearing gourds and the women wearing just grass skirts. And when they would kill one of their other tribe members, they would drag them across the boundary line from that tribe to, to their own. Excuse me. Then they would start a fire and they'd reach down and cut off an ear and stick it on a stick and fry it and, and, and eat the ear and cut off fingers and and eat it like they would spare ribs, and, and the family standing across would just weep and cry as they please don't do that. That's the background they came from. They would be standing, a mother would be standing there holding his baby, and her baby all across her chest like this with the feet around the side, and if he, she had done something that the husband didn't like very well, he would stand across the compound, pull a bow and arrow back, and shoot right through the baby and the mother, and they'd drop over dead, and they'd drag them off and throw them in the river. Now, that's the, where they came from. And, of course, if you stole, the only time there's was light to steal is when you didn't get caught. And it was a real shame to get caught stealing. Nothing wrong with stealing, but if you got caught then you're really shamed. Now, that was the environment from which they came. And there were the Dutch people that had gone in there. The government had gone in and tried to educate these people some. And most of them were eaten and couldn't stay. So the missionaries flew in, and they presented the Word of God to them. And the the marvelous things that took place were absolutely exciting. As I told some of you, I went to to Tacoma Falls Bible College a couple years ago and sang there. And while I was there, Virgil I had take me around the campus. He said, oh, by the way, I want you to meet a young lady. And he introduced me to this young lady. And as she left, he said, I thought you'd like to know. She's from the Doni tribe over near Injaya. And she's now studying <clears throat> to be a conscious pianist." What was the difference? The Word of God. Jesus Christ transformed her life. And you talk about cultural shock to come out of a, an environment like that where all they had were sweet potatoes and, and they, their diet was so limited. To come out of that and to fly over here and to go to a Bible college and be studying as a concert pianist, a very talented girl, they said. Think where her life would have been had she not found Jesus Christ, and had the missionaries not invested in her life and to, to bring her over here. We have to look at Saul, who was later on transformed into Paul. Here was a self-righteous religious man. Concerning the law, he was blameless. I mean, you Christians are really going to get in trouble now because you have violated our faith. And he met Jesus Christ, and the Word of God transformed him from Saul of Tarsus to Paul the Apostle. And he went everywhere declaring the word of God. And when he got through, he said, I'm the least of all saints. I'm, I'm not worthy to even be called a saint." But the word of God transformed Saul's life. I remember years ago when I was studying concerning the mission in Chicago, a woman by the name of Maddie Rice. Never, I've not read of her for years, but I was reminded of her again as I was studying this about how the word of God transforms people. Maddie Rice said, Left home when she was young and got involved in prostitution. And later on, became pregnant, had two children, and became an alcoholic. And they uh, they said they would find her time and time again lying in the gutter with flies and wine all over her body. And they would try to stand her up and send her back home. Well, finally, the government got to her apartment and found out where she was staying in a room where she was staying. And they found the babies lying there had not been taken care of like they ought to be. They warned her that if we find them like this again, we'll take your children away from you. Well, she tried to straighten up and tried to get a job and just didn't work. She went right down the tubes again. And the government officials, county officials, came in, found the children with diapers that had, they had rice on them, the milk in the bottles were soured, and she was out lying in the gutter with wine all over. So they just took the children away. Well, this shocked her so badly, she was trying again to straighten up, so they said, if you straighten up, then we'll take care of She couldn't straighten up. didn't know what to do. The children were adopted out. And one day, she was lying in the gutter right outside of the uh, old mission there in Chicago and a dear old lady that was dressed very nicely came out and helped her up on her feet took her in this, into this mission and just reached right out around this woman with wine all over the front of her dirt all over she was filthy just embraced her and kissed her on the cheek and she said God really loves you Maddie Rice and she could not even comprehend that statement and so this lady just put her arm around and took her in sat her down in the seat and the man began to preach the word of God And Maddie Rice began to sob and sob and sob and finally went and knelt down and invited Jesus Christ into her heart. She stood up and she said, is there something I can do to stay here now? I need help. They gave her a job there in the mission. She worked there for almost three years. In the meantime, never drank again. The Lord set her free from it completely. She started contacting the county officials. Can I get my children back? And after a long search, they found out she could no longer get her children back. She said, what will I do, Lord? It happened too late. My children are gone. And then God put a burden on her heart, so she began to pray about it. And if you go down in the mountains of Kentucky, eastern Kentucky right now, you'll find the Maddie Rice uh, children's home where she has a whole school full of little girls that she takes care of down there. No one, nothing but the Word of God could transform a life like that and make it to where she would become a mother of many. It's like Abraham having his name changed from Abram, the father of many, to Abraham, the father of nations. She had her own two children taken away, but God restored her with many, many others. Why? Because of the supernaturalness of the Word of God. There's nothing that can change men's lives like this. Mel Trotter, another one that was involved in the mission in Chicago. Mel Trotter was a a down-and-out alcoholic. He had no no redeeming values whatsoever. He was so bad off. They said that when his baby was so sick, he was living in a little one-room apartment up above the stores that he could get for just a few bucks a month. And his wife was up there, and he came home one night drunk, and she said, Mel, I have hidden this little bit of money, and I've gone to the doctor. The doctor says, our baby has to have this medicine, or she'll die. Now, I cannot go with you, Mel. Listen to me. Straighten up now. You've got to take this to the drugstore and get this medicine back here, or we're going to lose our daughter. Mel says, no problem. He went down the stairs, around the corner, into the bar, and drank up the medicine. When he came back the next morning, his daughter was dead. His wife left him. Mel went out on the street and was walking down the street getting, con- contemplating suicide. And when he walked past the old mission there in Chicago, and somebody came out and invited him in, and he went in and heard the word of God, went forward and invited Jesus Christ in his life, and Mel Trotter became a mighty evangelist for Jesus Christ. His family was put back together. He became a mighty evangelist for Jesus Christ. So, you know, we don't hear that happening a whole lot, but that's what the Word of God can do in the lives of individuals because it's a supernatural book. It's quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It goes right down the dividing of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and it's a discerner of the heart, the thoughts and intents of the heart. It can go where nothing else can go. When you put the Word of God on someone, they can go home, and you may not be there. they'll lay in bed and the Holy Spirit will set his fault upon the foot of the bed, and he'll continue to preach to them. Why? Because it's a lie. It's a supernatural book. Don't ever be little. Don't ever think less of what the Word of God is. When you put it forth in somebody's heart, it's like a fishhook. It'll get there and they can't get it out. They cannot get rid of it. It will deal with them forever. I've heard of soldiers who, when they were little boys, went to Sunday school, got away from the church, went over to Vietnam, were put in prison, and while they're sitting there in those horrible conditions, all of a sudden, those verses that they have learned as little boys came back, how the Spirit of God began to witness this. They got saved in those cells. There's no other book like this book. This book is supernatural and it has to become a conviction with you But it doesn't make any difference what Dr. Such and Such says or this group says or that group says the only thing I have to know is what does this say because in that day I will be judged not by what they think but by what this says. It can't be a preference. When it doesn't say what we want it to say we have to change. Remember me telling you about the evangelist that was preaching in the church one time and some men came to me and said brother you better calm down your preaching a little bit because you're rubbing some big cat's further the wrong way. He said, well, that's no problem. You go back and tell those big cats to turn around. One pastor had the president of the United States walk into his service in the church one Sunday morning. He wasn't expecting it. He came in. The pastor stood up and was preaching on John three sixteen. He said, I just want to say to our president here this morning, President, if you have never repented of your sins, God is no respecter of persons. You will have no entrance into heaven any more than the next man will. And God says, except your repent; you'll perish." And I want you to know this: one, if you have never repented and invited Christ into your life, that you will be lost for eternity. And you must repent. Boy, the men sitting around him thought that preacher's in trouble. When they came to the door, he shook hands with the pastor. He said, "I would to God I had ten men like you working with me and my government officers." He says, "We could change this nation in no time." Boy, the pastor didn't have a preference; he had a conviction. He was not a respecter of persons. For all who have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Until that becomes a conviction in our heart, we'll never have the boldness that we have to have to be able to face the world with the message that they have to hear. Now you can say amen or owe oh me, whichever one you know feels better. Amen. I can just go one further. That is your own pastor. Many of you know I did not come from a Christian home. Many of you know I came from the other side of the tracks. the The government didn't even tell us we were poor I think we lived in probably my first 12 years I was living I probably lived in about 7 different homes rental homes many times the power would go off because they didn't have enough money to pay the electricity came in a neighborhood where like I said I tried to just describe how mean they were if a cat had a tail it was a tourist going through our kids in our neighborhood are absolutely cruel. I can remember them thinking it was fun today. I mean, they'd get in prison for 20 years, but they used to take little puppies down and throw them in the river and then use them for target practice. That's the kind of disposition they had in that day. And they just thought that was normal procedure. And to join the club, you had to be able to steal enough food to be able to feed the whole club before you could even join that particular club that was in our neighborhood. And so I came up not having any knowledge of God to speak of whatsoever. And when I was 15 my sister received Jesus Christ and by that time the doctor had already told me by the age of 22 I'd probably be dead because my nerves were completely shot from the lifestyle I was living and he said if you don't change your lifestyle you'll never make it well how do you change your lifestyle? I mean I had habits and I was running around with the wrong crowd we were stealing and fighting and you name it we were involved in it and one night my sister came home from Bible college and invited me to church with her and told me there's going to be a lot of music and I liked music so I went Man, I came out of this so miserable the first night. I was just absolutely... I couldn't... I could hardly breathe. I was so miserable. I knew I was lost. And I remember somehow... I don't remember, but somehow she got me back the next night. I didn't even ask her. She said, I don't remember what happened. I don't know how we got you back either. I went back the next night. And that night I went forward and invited Jesus Christ to my life. And I want you to tell you something. This book is not a normal book. That book is different. The words in that Bible changed my life. I got up and said, you know, I'll never need these rotten cigarettes anymore. I went out and saw my best friend that I've been running with for years, and if we each had one cigarette, we split it because that's how close we were. If one had a fight, we both fought. And I said to him, you know, I made a decision to follow Jesus Christ that we you come with me? He said, If my parents are Christians, I'd just soon go to hell. And he turned around and walked away, and that was the last time we ever dealt with each other. I'll tell you, if you become a genuine Christian, you'll probably have to change crowds. You have to change friends. I got home that night, walked in the front door, and my dad took one look at me, and said, Don't tell me I know you've gone nuts over religion like your sister. Later on, I told him, I said, Dad, the only reason why I'm not in jail with my other buddies that are in prison and jail right now is because I accepted Christ. Otherwise, I'd be right with them. This Word of God showed me where I was, what I was, and I knew if I didn't get saved, I'd go to hell. And the Holy Spirit takes this Word and makes Jesus Christ reality, makes sin reality in your life. There's not another book on the face of the earth that can do that for you. Later on, God led me to Bible college, and that's why I am where I am today. It's quick and powerful and sharp. Don't ever think less of the Word of God than what it is. That's why it's part of your armor. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. With it, you can conquer all the powers of darkness, all the habits in your life with the Word of God. It can give you victory in your life. It's a supernatural Word. I'm going to stop there this morning. got some more things I want to tell you about the Word of God tonight. Well, I want to tell you, it's got to become a conviction. This word is supernatural. It's inspired of God. God breathed. God spoke. We're going to talk about how the men received this word. And they didn't sit down and say, oh, I think I'm going to write a book today. It was supernaturally inspired. Totally different. Now, I want to ask you this morning, have you ever allowed the word of God to change your life? If you're to die right now, do you know beyond all shadow of it? Do you know why I can say this to you? Because the Holy Spirit will tell you yes or no. I don't have to. If I said, how many of you know beyond all shadow of a doubt, if you're to die right now, you go to heaven. Boy, you could stick your hand right up, because the Holy Spirit's witness that to you. And at the same time, some of you go, mm, who told you to do that? I'm not holding your hand down. The person next to you, not holding your hand down. In your heart, you know, because his spirit bears witness with your spirit. Whether you're lost or saved. The night they asked, how many of you are lost? Now, my hand went right there. I mean, there wasn't any question in my mind. Nobody sent me a newspaper saying you're lost. I don't have to tell you whether you're saved or lost. You know in your heart. Now, you might say, I'm I'm a Christian, but I'm sure not what I ought to be. Well, none of us are. We want to be more. But the important thing is that you know, whereas once you were blind, now you see. You know that you've been born again by the Spirit of God through repentance and faith. If that's never happened, let me tell you something. If you were to die this day, you'd bust hell wide open. Because there's only two places to go. There's only two kinds of people in the world, saints and me. And if you don't know Christ in God's sight, you ain't. You know, in the last days it says there's going to be a, a system set up so that if you do not have the mark of the beast in your hand or on your forehead, you can't buy, you can't sell, you're non You're a non-entity. You're not involved in the computer system, therefore you can't buy, sell, work, own anything. You're just not, you don't exist. And if you have never been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ in God's sight, you'll look in his book, and if your name is not there, you don't exist as far as heaven is concerned. It says that those whose names were not found written in the Lamb's book of life were cast into the lake of fire. Now, God doesn't send us there. We go there by choice, by deciding not to make Jesus Lord of our life, after the word of God has revealed to us who he is. And Jesus is the Lamb of God. to takes away the sin of the world. And I ask you this morning, has he ever taken away your sins? Do you know beyond all shadow of a doubt that you've repented of your sins and made Jesus Lord of your life? It says, be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves and mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, None of these shall inherit the kingdom of God. If you're still living that lifestyle and have not made Lord Jesus, Lord of your life, he said you can be as religious as you want to, but you won't enter into heaven. You have to repent of those things. Have you done it? Many of the communist nations have tried to stamp out the word of God. But it's like stamping on fire, it just spreads. It just keeps spreading out. The air stamping down on spreads it. And over in China they're trying to to destroy the Chinese I mean the Chinese church over there, not the one that's exposed, because that's led and directed and ruled by the Communist Party. But the home churches over in China are spreading like wildfire. You remember in some of the nations over in Eastern Europe, they killed anyone who even gave a hint of being a Christian and now the doors are wide open and they're going in with the gospel, you cannot destroy the Word of God. Then we talked about this morning what the Word of God will do and that it will transform lives. The second thing that it will do, it will be to us an infallible guide. The Word of God said, the entrance of God's Word gives light. Now, the scripture says we were in darkness and have been quickened by the Spirit of God and when God's Word comes in, it brings light. How does it bring light? Let me explain again the difference between the natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man has five senses. And I will we'll go through all those, but the five senses we have, the natural senses, the human senses, well, sight, hearing, taste, feel, touch, so forth, uh, taste, all that's the five senses that we receive. And that's where we receive all of our signals of light. That's why the natural man cannot comprehend the things of God because they're spiritually discerned and be spiritually dead. It's only when the Holy Spirit comes and quickens their mind to be able to receive the truth. In other words, you and I did not receive Jesus Christ because we were so smart. I know people much smarter than me, much, much smarter than me, much, much smarter than me, much, much smarter than me who, have, uh, who have never accepted Christ. You see, it's, it's not by might nor by power, but by the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God does not convict you and me. There's not a thing we can do about it. Had the Spirit of God not convicted me that night when I was in the service, when others were sitting there under conviction, they didn't do anything about it. They're still dead in their trespasses and sin, as far as I know. But the Spirit of God spoke to me and enabled me The grace of God is the power to know and to do God's will. He manifested his grace and mercy on me so that I could not only hear the word, but respond to the word. That's why the word that says, ye have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Some people think, well, I I accepted Jesus Christ. Not really, he accepted you. And you just simply respond to, to his acceptance. We love him because he first loved us it's a response and then he reveals to us his love and we respond to that consequently once we become Christians and there's a new input of information to us where we've always had it by see, feel, touch, taste and hear now there's a new thing and that is the spirit of God coming into us and speaking to us that's why new Christians say well something just told me that that was wrong something something just told me and you remember what I say why do you call the Holy Ghost something? Don't call him something. Say the Holy Spirit quickened my heart to realize that was wrong. You see there's a lot of things that I did before I was a Christian that I didn't read in the Bible, thou shalt not do that, but I some for some reason inside knew that, that wasn't right to do anymore. I had a new sense of right and wrong. As the testimony was given tonight. I had become I I, I was religious and everything, but uh, I didn't see anything wrong with abortion I didn't see anything wrong with this I didn't see anything wrong with that all of a sudden when I really got saved I saw things in a totally new light what happened? a new input of information now when you're a Christian you still get all those signals in from the flesh lust of the eye the lust of the flesh the pride of life but now you have a new signal coming in and to whomsoever you yield yourself servants to obey his servants you become and that's why the battle's here between the ears and you have to have a constant faithful guide for every step and decision you and I make in our life. Now some people will pull out their philosophy books some people will go to Dr. such and such but I want to tell you something the word of God says that all scriptures give me inspiration God is profitable for doctrine for reproof for correction for instruction in righteousness that the man of God woman of God may be perfect thoroughly furnished unto all good works. it's all here folks it's all here. All we have to do is dig it out. Find out what the answers are. Now, there's nothing wrong with reading other people's books if the books are Christ-centered and Word-centered. Because the Word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Now, that's two different things. They had a lamp that you could carry and hold it up like this and it would show the whole area around you. But the lamp on their feet, back in that day, they had little lamps that they would put right on the toes of their shoes. And when they would walk, it would just bright light just where their foot's supposed to go down the next time. And the Word of God shows you where to put your feet and where you're going. Now, whatever I'm counseling people, before I get started with them, I say, let's just have some kind of ground rules here. What are we going to use as our basis of authority for what's right or wrong? What you think or what I think? And I've had them kind of look at me strangely. I said, well, there's no sense in us trying to talk about something if we can't come to some mutual agreement as to what we will say is authoritative. For example, if you say that Darwin is an authority, I'll say, well, you and I just can't even talk about this subject because I don't agree with what Darwin said at all. It's been proven to be a total fallacy. If you say, well, Dr. Spock is my authority, well, then I have nothing, we have no basis on which to talk. We have to come to a place where we have a mutual basis of what, when you say you think and I say I think, I'll say, oh, well, let's go to the authority. Now, what authority are we going to use? Thus saith the Lord. Thus saith the Lord. What does the word of God say about that? Well, oh, I don't see why we have to be constantly correcting our children. Because the Bible said, if you love your child, you will correct them. You will chase them. You'll chase them betimes. Because your heavenly father loves you and he chastens you betimes. Well, I don't see why I have to be so strict with my children. Well, because you're teaching them how to respond to God. You want them to respond to God one out of ten times or one out of a hundred times, two out of a hundred times. You choose where you want and you do what the Word of God says, do it according to the manual, the manufacturer's handbook, and it will always come out right. And God says, your children are to obey quickly and quietly. And so you say, thus it'll, any evident, any conclusion based upon false evidence or false, false, faulty practices ends up with a false conclusion. It may sound wonderful to have blended families It may sound wonderful to use the horoscope to find out what kind of spirits people have in them, but it's not based upon the Word of God. You may come to that and you might even work it out to be a science. I'm telling you, there are some books today on the subject of marriage and divorce. They have worked out a science as to how they get the whole thing. But if you go back to the premise, the premise is false. Someone recently wrote about my book and they said his whole premise is based upon one verse, Luke 16, 18. I thought, what's wrong with that? as long as it doesn't disagree with any of the other verse, I would rather have it be based upon that verse than this verse over here says, except to be for fornication and interpret that to mean except for adultery or for, um, uh, moral uh, impurity because it doesn't mean that but if we take off on that verse and plan a whole book on that whole philosophy then you come up with a false conclusion all other ground is going to be sinking sand sooner or later Dr. Spock even came back and confessed that he had raised a generation of hellions he had made a mistake now, the parents look back and say, thanks a lot. I raised my kid according to you. See, that's our, that's our problem then if we raised according to his philosophy. And the young people that are coming out of college are trying to raise their kids according to this new philosophy that there is no absolute whatsoever. There's nothing really wrong or right. It's whatever you feel. And when your children really start tearing things up, really they need attention and they need to be understood and you need to explain to them. And Let me tell you something. They are, they are facing disaster in the days ahead. Why? Because they based it upon a false premise. The Word of God. The Word of God is an infallible guide. If you will do what the Word says, next generation, you won't have to have God come back and apologize to you for making mistakes. He didn't really mean it that way. He means to write a new book tomorrow. The next thing is, God's Word is God's message to man. It's not man's message about God. Any other religious book is man's message about their God and how man can get to God. And that's not what the Bible is all about. The supernatural book, which we call the Word of God, is God's message to mankind. And what is that message? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth into him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's the message. Jesus Christ didn't come into this world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because... Their deeds are evil. That's the message that God has for us in His Word. Now, some people they say it's a nice religious book. It's, it's you know, it's a somewhat of a history book, but it can't really be dependent upon. It's, it, it's more maybe it's a term paper, as some people said, concerning the uh, the uh, Gospel of Luke. But this is wrong. The Word of God is God-initiated, God-authored, God-breathed, and it's eternal truth presented to mankind that will never have to change. Thank God for that truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Jesus said, I'm come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So when we look at the word of God, it is God's message to men. 2 Peter 1.19 We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto you do well that you take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day, ar- day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, <clears throat> no prophecy of the scripture is of, is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Psalm 12, 6. Would you turn to there with me, please? Psalm 12, 6. The word of God, first of all, is God's message to man. Second, it is without error. The words of the Lord are what? Pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. And again, the Living Bible says concerning that verse, he speaks no careless words. In other words, whatever the word of God speaks on, whatever the subject might be. Some people say, well, it's a religious book. No, it's It addresses all areas of life, and wherever it speaks, it speaks with total authority. Example, when Israel became a nation again, which was predicted, by the way, that they would become a nation again, they were trying to find natural resources that they could use in their own nation so they didn't have to import everything, and they wanted copper, and they said, where can we find copper? They went to the Word of God and found where there was copper in the Word of God in Israel, They went there and began to do searching in that area and found copper resources. When they needed gold, they checked in the Scriptures where it indicated there might be some gold. In the Scriptures, it was accurate, and they went there and they found some gold in Israel. They didn't have any oil. They tried and tried and tried to find oil. There was no oil available in Israel. I mean, all the Arab lands had it. A man went over to try to find the oil. He came back, and somebody called him and said, Did you search the Scriptures to find out where it was? He said, well, no. They said, well, let us send you some scriptures to tell you where the oil is. And he went back where they said it was supposed to be and the minute he crossed the river with his equipment and started doing soundings, instantly he found massive resources of oil in Israel. The Word of God is absolutely perfect and authoritative. Remember me telling you recently he also found out that Zebulun and Issachar, the two nations that are are two tribes that are inland from the sea, the Bible says that they would suck the riches of the sea. They found gas and oil under them and found that the source of it goes all the way out under the sea. If the Word of God says it, you know, somebody says, do you actually believe that a fish swallowed Jonah? I like what one preacher said. I I would believe it if God says that Jonah swallowed a large fish. Because if God's Word says it, you can put it in the bank. That's exactly what it means. Now, science. I mean, I, I, even since I've been a Christian, I remember the ridiculing people got, some preachers got, when they talked about, in the book of Genesis, that there is, during that time the earth divided. And they said it must have broken apart. and They all laughed and hooted and said, that's just crazy. That never happened. You'll find in the book of Genesis that there was a certain generation when the earth divided. Well, couldn't be. Now when you go to school and they talk to you about science, they'll talk to you about the tectonic plates, tectonic plates that are floating around, our nation is just floating on magma. and now they, they've checked the evidence over on Africa's coast and our coast and, where, and South America's coast. I mean, wherever it's broken apart, where there's minerals here on this side, there's minerals like that on that, the other side, the whole earth broke apart. And by the way, some people don't realize this, but during the tribulation period, evidently it's going to all float back together again. It's going to be one land mass with no seas, and Israel's going to be in the center of the earth again, and that's why God numbered the nation of Israel, the tribes of Israel, according to the nations of the world. Well, that would give the people some studying to do. Now, it doesn't make any difference what people may think. Science laughed about it, but the word says that the earth separated. And in the last days during the tribulation period, all the islands are going to disappear. All the mountains are going to disappear. We're going to have a horrible eruption of the earth again, and all these nations are going to come back, the continents are going to come back together again. And Israel is planted right in the center of the whole thing. they will be in the center of the earth. So if Christ is going to rule on the earth, he should at least be in the center of it, shouldn't he? And he's going to be in the center of the earth. Because God's word said so. You know, there was a time when they thought that the god Hercules had the earth sitting on its back. And there were times in the early church where if you said that the earth evolved revolved around the sun, that you would be put to death as a heretic. In fact, one man, when he finally wrote his thesis on that, he wrote it just before he died, so they couldn't kill him. That the earth went around the sun instead of the sun going around the earth. And some people thought that the earth was hung up on something, maybe Hercules or somebody. But way back in 1520 B.C., a man by the name of Job, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said in Job 26.7, look at it, Job 26.7, said something that science is finally catching up with. Job 26.7. You know, when when the astronauts flew to the moon and looked back at the earth, they couldn't see any cord holding it up. And they couldn't see Hercules standing under it. Job 26.7 He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon what? Nothing. It's just out there in space. Just hung it on nothing. Going around and around the sun. When it came to shipping today look at Genesis 6.15 Genesis 6.15 Noah was getting ready to build a boat and by the way Noah was not a sailor. Noah didn't even live down by the sea. Noah and his sons lived in a in a plain somewhere, plain area where there were just some flat plains. And God told him to build a boat. A what? A boat. How do you do that? God said, "All right." There in verse 15. He said, And this is the fashion which thou shalt make of it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, the breadth of it 50 cubits, and the height of it 30 cubits. 300 feet cubits long, 50 cubits wide. Well, that's 437 feet long, approximately 73 feet wide, and 43 feet 75, uh, 43 and a, 3 quarters feet high. And I read some years ago that modern technology today, as they are building boats, the... Same basic differences in, the length, the height, the width, and the and depth, are proportionate to what Noah built in his ark. Now, where did Noah? How where did Noah ever pick that information up? It was by divine revelation. And seaworthy vessels today have the same basic proportions, finding it's the most economical, the safest type of construction to build a ship. The same proportions as Noah built that ark back then. Then the prophecies in the Old Testament, when God said that there was going to be a nation in Ezekiel thirty eight and thirty-nine, Gog and Magog, chief princes of Meshech and Tubal, they didn't even exist when that was prophesied. And when they said that Israel was going to be destroyed and taken into captivity and become a nation again. You know, there are people back in the thirties that said that just would never happen. Israel scattered all over the world. I mean during the Second World War when so many of them were killed in Germany and there's just no chance it's ever going to happen again. or excuse the first world war and second world war both they were in trouble different nations chased them out of their countries, and uh, God just accidentally happened to have some Jewish fella who discovered uh, nitroglycerin I was told and uh, Europe England wanted that the recipe for that and he said if you'll write this agreement with us that Israel can have its own land back then we will give you that formula and God used that man's formula to prod England into giving back the land and Israel in 1948 became a nation again and it talks in the word of God that in the last days there's going to be the mark of the beast 666 and I can remember when I was a young Christian that they used to have pictures of these great big sixes on people's foreheads and on their hands and I thought boy that's going to be ugly everybody going around with a 666 on their forehead I mean if I see that I'll know exactly what it is but now we know that the European common market and and the international currency is Putting a prefix on all their their accounts that is six six six. Why did they pick that number? They find out that in the computer that's the most logical number to have for an international universal prefix for a uh, uh, to be able to control everything by computers. Now, who told John the beloved that back there, two over two thousand about two thousand years ago? Now, it was supernaturally given to him by the Holy Spirit. It said that knowledge would increase in the last days, and they've done a, a flow chart of knowledge increasing from Adam all the way up to about 1948, and it's just a very gradual incline. In 48, just, it's almost going straight up now. And we're told that every day enough information is coming in from our satellites on microfilm to fill an 8-by-10-by-8-foot room to the ceiling, and it's going to take years just to process all the information that's coming into it. Knowledge on the increase. I want to tell you something. The Word of God can be totally trusted. It's divinely inspired. And uh, by the way, God was not limited when it was written by the knowledge and intelligence of the writers either. I'm so glad about that. Uh, when we write a book, when if you and I were to write a book, when I wrote the first book, I spent eight years studying and studying and studying and trying to find another answer and trying to, how can I explain this? And all of a sudden, oh, I didn't see that before. And I'd write that down and I'd, Get all that information together and say, and then when I got through writing, I thought, oh, I messed in this. I, I gotta change this. I got all these changes, even though you work and work and work at it. Well, I want to tell you something. <laughs> that didn't happen back there when the word of God was given to men. They didn't have to sit and study and study and study and try to work up some answer. Look at Daniel the 12th chapter. Daniel the man of God. Daniel the 12th chapter. Daniel wrote as he was inspired by the Holy Ghost. Daniel 12. Verse 4, he'd just written a lot of these things about what was going to happen concerning the kingdoms of the world. And verse 4, he says, But thou, O Daniel, God speaking, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. And then verses 8 and 9, And I heard, but what? I don't understand this. I understood not. What is this stuff I'm writing down? I don't get this. God, what am I putting down here? It wasn't the case. Here, I studied this all out. That's the answer. It's, what have I just written here? What is this all about, about all these kingdoms here? I understood not. Then I said, oh, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Second Peter, the first chapter. Second Peter, the first chapter. Verse 20 and 21. Peter writing, he says, knowing this first, that no proph- prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation or private release. I, I like what the Living Bible said there. Uh, no prophecy of the Scripture was ever thought up by the prophet himself. <laughs> he didn't sit there and say, mm, let's see, oh, what am I going to guess? What am I going to get here? You know, he didn't do that. I'm in 2nd Peter, the first chapter, verse 20. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. Verse 21. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, as they were moved, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost came upon them. And they wrote down things that didn't even understand they were writing down. And God said, "That's it. Seal it up. That's good enough." What does it mean? Just seal it up. Don't worry about. It. In the end time, they'll know what it's all about. The Living Bible says, "It was the Holy Spirit within these godly men who gave them true messages from God." I like that. First Peter, the first, first Peter, the first chapter, verses ten through twelve. First Peter 1, 10 through twelve. Verse nine says, Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls, of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Unto whom it was revealed that not but that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them. That have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. You say, What does all that mean? Let me read it to you from the Living Bible. This salvation was something the prophets did not fully understand, though they wrote about it. They had many questions as to what it all could mean. They wondered what the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about, for He told them to write down the events which since then have happened to Christ and His suffering and his great glory afterwards. They wrote down about his his birth, and his life, and his suffering, his death, all this. What is all this thing? And they wondered when, and to whom, all this would happen. They were finally told that these things would not occur during their lifetime, but long years later, during yours. Now the Holy Ghost is the author of the Word of God. That's why I said it is God breathed. Men wrote what God told them to write. Now, if that be the case, then only the Holy Spirit can help you and me to understand the Word of God. He's the author. And as we search the Scriptures, we should seek the Lord concerning how we're to walk in our daily life and say, Holy Spirit, reveal to me the truth. We have to ask. We have to ask, first of all, for that wisdom from the Lord. If, if the Word of God says, if any man lack wisdom, let him what? Ask of God, who giveth all men liberally, and a not that shall be given him. I've had people say, well, I just don't understand the word of God. Ask him to help you to understand it. Read it again. Holy Spirit, open my eyes. Read it again. Holy Spirit, I read the other day that one Bible teacher, Spurgeon, never preached or wrote on a book in the Bible or a portion of Scripture until he had read it through 50 times. And meditate, and read it through again and meditate, and read it through again and meditate. I wonder what would happen today if we would do that more. What do we do today? Go to all the resources, get all the knowledge out there. I wonder how much would happen if we just said, Holy Spirit, what do you have to say about this? John 14 26. John 14 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you what? John 14, 26. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you what? All things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. I cannot tell you what a thrill it is to be in the ministry. And I'll be talking to someone and the Holy Spirit will just bring up verses and bring up verses and bring up verses to me to talk to these people about the present need to have in their heart and life. Now I'll tell you something, they've got to be there before they can be brought up. But he will take the word of God and quicken it to you. Do you know why God could use the, the disciples the way he did, the apostles the way he did? Because as Jewish people, by the time they were about 12 years of age, they were supposed to memorize the first five books of the Bible. And they were supposed to read the prophets over and over, and the Psalms over and over. They had; they were acquainted with the Word of God. So when the Spirit of God spoke to them, He'd say, "Remember this! Remember this! Remember this! Remember this!" When Jesus was on the road to Emmaus with the with the disciples, the apostles, and He was reminding them, He talked. He began in the with Moses, went all the way through the Old Testament, telling them about the Scripture speaking of Himself. Well, they didn't have Bibles open there. They remember, oh yeah, I remember this. Oh yeah, uh-huh, yeah. Had it all up here. See down here and the Holy Spirit was able to use that and quicken it to them. The procedure. We come to the Father in Jesus' name asking that he have the Holy Spirit to open our understanding. Holy Spirit, open my understanding. Give me new understanding of the Word. Give me new insight in the Word. I cannot tell you how many times as I would be thinking and reading and reading and reading the verses concerning my book that I wrote. Over and over I'd read them. And sit there and think, what are you trying to say here, Lord? I'd go back to the Greek and find out what that meant. And go back to the Hebrew and find out what that meant. And what is, all of a sudden, boom, the Lord is speaking to me. You remember me telling you one day that he knocked me out of my seat from my Baptist background? When I was reading about Matthew 19, where it talked about accepted me for fornication, that meaning only during the time of engagement. And the Spirit of God just spoke to me and said, by the way, son, I'm only engaged to you. Well, that just knocked my Baptist theology into a cocked hat. During the time of engagement, if one of the other commits fornication, there's grounds for divorce from the engagement. Now, I didn't get that out of a theological book. Spirit of God just revealed that to me. We're only engaged to Jesus Christ. That's why He says He that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. We're only engaged to Jesus Christ right now. That's why He can't get rid of Israel. He's God. the, God the Father is locked in with Israel because He's married to. Him you and I are not married yet we're only engaged then lastly my ability to understand the Bible is not determined by my intellectual skills. 1 Corinthians 2.14 1 Corinthians 2.14 but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God for they are foolishness unto him neither can he know them for they are what Because they are spiritually discerned. God says, here's my book. Every word in it, I spoke. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, every writer wrote this book. That's why over all those generations, 66 books, over 40 authors, every one of them are consistent, one with the other, even though they wrote thousands of years apart because I had the Holy Spirit guide and direct every one of them to write every word in this book. Now, I want want to tell you something. There's not going to be a comma, not a period, that's going to go unfulfilled in this word. But the only way you're going to understand it is go to the author and ask him to quicken it to your heart. And once he does, now be careful, because once he quickens truth to your heart, you become responsible for that truth. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin and you know what happens today the minute you begin to tell people that their conduct is not consistent with God's word they begin to say what is this legalism this is bondage I'm not going to get caught up in this thing let me tell you something this is not legalism this is not bondage this is freedom when we do what the word says if we walk in the light as he is in the light we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ God's son cleanses us from all sin what's the light? Jesus is the light of the world now we're the light of the world but this is the real light It's a lamp under our feet, a light under our path. The entrance of God's word gives light. The real problem today, as I said, is we are living in a day and age of cafeteria Christianity. Well, I want a little bit of shouting and hallelujah over here. I want a little bit of tongues and a few of the gifts over here. But I don't want any of that responsibility stuff. I thank God for the faithfulness of this group. You know, it's just a testimony today of what day we're living in when you see people who come on Sunday morning, yes, hallelujah, praise the Lord. We're just going on with God. And they have no interest in the things of God on Sunday night or Wednesday night. It speaks of our generation which we're living. You say, well, now, are you being legalistic? No, I'm being actual because the Word of God says, here's the command. The later it is in the season, the more you need to get together. Very important. How many of you know families that 10 years ago we're closer to the Lord than we are today even though they're still religious and still doing the religious thing but as far as real commitment to Jesus Christ and his word what's happening it's the day in which we're living the scripture says therefore if any man be in Christ he's a new creation old things are passed away but then in Romans 12 it says I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice Holy, H-O-L-Y, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And I'm going to give you another translation. And don't let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be a new and different and exciting kind of person in all that you do that you may prove that that which is of God is good and acceptable and perfect. What does that mean? Don't do what the world does. Do differently from the world so that they can tell that you've been with Jesus. Father, I thank you for the fact that the Word of God is authoritative supernaturally inspired it will never pass away we can depend on it it'll never change it's the very thing by which we'll be judged in that day and ignorance of the law will be no excuse we're going to stand before you in that day to rejoice in the goodness and mercy of God that you revealed your will to us in your word through the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit I pray again tonight that we'll remember the word. It says it's not the hearers of the word that's blessed, it's the doers of the word that's blessed. We want to be a blessed people. Lord, we want to see people saved. We want to see people growing in the things of the Lord. We want to see souls getting, our lives getting changed, families being put back together. We want to see young people going out and to study for the Lord's work and to do God's bidding in their lives, whatever it might be, if it's preaching or being an attorney or being a, a housewife or being a doctor or whatever it is God we want it to be the very best they can be and be a light for you we continue to pray for our nation that's turned away from God's word we know the word says clearly the nation that forgets God God will judge God have mercy upon us give us another opportunity give us a revival Lord will you start start that revival right here somehow some way thank you for what you're doing in the lives of our young people I pray that it'll just spread to every one of us And we'll get excited about seeing the lost come to saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Help us be doing what we're supposed to do. Lord, a car is supposed to carry us someplace. A light is supposed to make it possible for us to function in the evening. And a Christian is supposed to be a witness and a testimony. I pray that we'll be that. And we'll be able to declare without any apology whatsoever, thus saith the Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we ask it. Amen. God bless you.